This is a CBC podcast. You know that old adage, the eyes are the windows to the soul? We say so much to other people just using our eyes and facial expressions. And we're like that pretty much from birth. As early as nine minutes after they're born, babies prefer to look at human faces more than anything else. We put so much importance on reading faces that it's like the main way we text each other. Why use words when a smiley face with tears, (laughs) an angry snorting face, or a puzzled frown Mm. says it all. So how do you communicate with someone if you're always hiding your face out of fear that you'll be judged? I'm Duncan McHugh, and this is a hell of a story. This week, we're taking a trip in the Wayback Machine to 2001 with producer Kate Cochran to meet Michael Williams Stark. When Michael was born in the 1950s, he had the most severe cleft lip and palate case in British Columbia's history. As a kid, he had so many surgeries he lost count. As an adult, Michael set out to use his experience to empower kids with the same facial difference, and he did it using laughter. Okay, one more time, really loud. Way to go, you guys. So, I want you to practice always using eye contact, right? When you're dealing with people, look them in the eye. And use great big voices, right? I first heard about about face from a little documentary on them. I just happened upon it. And I remember thinking, it just nailed me, like, Brothers and sisters. Right away, I thought, I've got a whole world of brothers and sisters out there because I never really knew anybody with a facial difference. And it was just so moving. And thankfully, I was watching the program with Abby, who's my my sweetie. She said to me, well, don't you think you should be doing work with these people? And I said, well, how do you mean? She goes, well, what would it have been like for you if you knew when you were a child, if you knew an adult that had walked the same road that you're now traveling, wouldn't, wouldn't that have made a big difference to you? Um, so I, I sort of worked on the periphery of, uh, of about face. I, I would do volunteer work, but I didn't know really how, how I could be of any importance to them, how I could really do something of, of value. And then it hit me, you know, I guess I'm slow. I think thinking improv, of course. It's the perfect tool for these kids. Um, and uh, that's how I started doing making faces, or came up with the idea for making faces. And we have profound and immediate results. My name's Megan, and I just turned 11. Um, I talk very slowly and not very loud because I was really scared of talking in front of everybody. I would kind of stand there and kind of sweat. Michael told us about himself 
and what happened. And so it let us know that we could do just as good talking as he can and do whatever he could do. He's taught us games that makes us talk louder and then we do it outside of the classes and at school and he taught us how to talk in front of people and look at them when you're talking. I'm not scared anymore and it's not a big thing. I just get up and say whatever I have to say. The beautiful part about improv comedy is that to be successful, you do work on the life skills, and especially life skills that are very important to kids of facial difference. Now, eye contact might not be a big deal to most people, but if somebody doesn't make eye contact with you, you usually have all these negative connotations. Uh, they're shifty or they're weak, um, devious, whatever. But think about it from the point of view of a person with a facial difference, if you make eye contact, you're allowing somebody in. And if you allow them in, you could be setting yourself up for ridicule and for rejection. And often we'll go through life, um, eyes cast down, not wanting to let anybody in. So how this game works is I have to get somebody's attention. So to get attention, I have to eye contact. <coughs> and what else? Big voice. Big, big voice. So I would go, hey, Ryan. As soon as Ryan looks at me, I walk towards him. Now, if he doesn't want me to crash into him, which he doesn't, Ryan has to quickly make contact with somebody go, Hey Alex, or hey Rabini, or hey Kyle, or hey, hey Jose. And then you go take their place in the lineup. Okay. Alrighty? Gotcha. So lots of eye contact in this game, right? And I think I'll let Megan start this game. Hey Jose. Hey, Michael. Hey, hey uh, Kyle. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Rubini. Hey, Alex. Hey, Alex. Oh, hey, Nathan. Hey, Alex. How do you get to know? Hey, Michael. That's good. Do that nice and quickly. Alrighty. You know, every time my birthday comes up, I think about what my mom must have gone through to actually have given birth to this child. and what her pain or sorrow was that day. Although she tells me I was the most beautiful baby at the hospital. <laughs> I didn't really know I was different, of course. When you're a little kid, you don't. You just have fun. People would yell things at me, insults out of cars. or I didn't know what they were yelling at me. I just thought I was incredibly popular. One day, I imagined it hurt my feelings, or I finally got the gist of it. Hey, these guys aren't being nice. And I was about four years old. I remember looking into the, the mirror in the medicine cabinet. And my mom was explaining to me how I'm different than other people. And that was the first time it really hit me that, oh, I'm not like everybody else. Like it was something unique and special. Um, it wasn't until probably I was around five or six that, you know, after being taunted and yelled at and chased, that I realized it wasn't always a good thing. I don't think I ever have gotten over it. I mean, I know where about face and making faces, working with the kids has been such a release for me, is that because I fit into the normal world quite well, because I look something like Jesus after losing a prize fight, and it's sort of a beat up looking mug. So I never had to deal with it, and therefore I chose not to. I didn't talk about it, I didn't have to, so I didn't want to, I didn't. And how I ended up bringing my picture into the classroom was one little boy, after about three weeks of being in class with me, said, well, I bet you I'm the only guy here with a cleft lip and palate. 
And I said, we're all people that have had you know, either cleft lip and or palate. I said, including me. And so the next week, I brought in a picture of myself in grade two. And I, I passed it around. The kids were looking at us. They were looking at it. I said, well, here's a little boy I've done a lot of work with. And I started talking about, and you can see how serious his case is. And but that little guy now does cartoon voices for part of his living. And they finally clued into the fact that it was me. They're going, it's you, it's you. And at that point, the little girl who was sitting next to me leaned her head on my shoulder and she said, so you understand. My name is Ilse and I'm nine years old. The first time I went to see my it was fun and scary. Meeting new kids and meeting the teachers. We did lots of games and we had a snack and we got homework. My name is Gail. Ilse um, has had nine, well, ten surgeries. She's nine years old. She had her lip repaired in Latvia at nine months old. Then um, we adopted her at two and a half years old and had her palate repair at two and a half years. Then we had to redo that same surgery and we did the palate and the nasal area and put in a pharyngeal flap just to help with her speech because it was such an effort. It would be like um, a screaming all day long for her to close those muscles and speak and so you could understand her. So that was um, some of the necessary surgeries. We've done nothing cosmetic, just only for her speech, really. It's just an ongoing situation. It, it doesn't ever end. And Ilse works very hard to make what we call good speech. Ilse, how would you like to explain to everybody how truth or lie works? I tell two stories. Two stories. One is correct and one is wrong and... So one's true, one's false. And we have to take a vote on which one we think is true and which one we think is false. Because all acting is storytelling, right? Okay, so now I have played this game probably hundreds of times with hundreds of kids and I don't think I've ever been fooled once, you know that? Yes, you have. I think so. Yeah. Last time with us. Yeah. What? You got in this year a million times. Yeah. Oh, oh man. You're not telling the truth. No, well, there's my story. There's my story. Okay, Jose has two stories to tell us. One of them's true, one of them's, well, not so true. Story number one. I have a big sister who just now came from Honduras. You have a big sister who just came from Honduras. Brilliant truth or lie story. All right, story number two, please. I have a sister who has the chicken pox. You have a sister who has the chicken pox. Again, brilliant truth or lie story and kind of confusing. And to the point. All right, I now open up questions to the audience. Where in Honduras was she? I'm not too sure. Is there such a place as a real place where you got your sister? What, Honduras? Is there such a place as Honduras here? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course yeah. there is. And the second question is what kind of chicken pox? I'm not too sure. Take the fifth, yeah, from a chicken. Um, how old is your sister? Three years old. 
Yeah. How old is the chicken? Great <laughs> <laughs> question. All right, we get to vote now. How many believe the sister from Honduras story? How many believe the chicken pox story? Pretty good split. And which story is true? The high All right. <laughs> One little girl came in, of course, very nervous and anxious because when you take on anything new with a facial difference, it's, it's frightening. And this one little girl came in, she had a scarf draped over her head and she was crying. She was so frightened to take part in the course. And I said, well, you don't have to, just sit and watch. You know, I never push anybody into anything. And we were having so much fun, she eventually got involved. By the end of a one-hour class, I remember her making this impromptu speech. I, I have an exercise called the 30-second talk, where they just have to talk for 30 seconds about anything. And she talked, gave a little talk on why horses were made of cheese. This is a great little improv story. She went from having a scarf draped over her head to public speaking in a matter of one hour. We're going to do the 30-second talk. <laughs> you remember how the 30-second talk works? Yeah. You guys are great at this game. Okay. Are you afraid? Yeah. You come on. You're good at this game. You can do it. Okay, so who wants to try first? She does. Want to try it? Okay, as big a voice as you can. 30-second. What do you want Alex to talk about? He knows everything. Bunny. The pink bunny? What pink bunny? Your imagination. <laughs> the pink bunny, 30 seconds. Great topic. Um, there once lived a great pink bunny that liked this blue bunny who lived in Milk Road. And <laughs> the pink bunny was a princess. So. Uh, my name is Rubini, and I'm 12 years old. I have a cliff. Uh, palette and a lip too. The way I speak, some of the words like s and all, I couldn't kind of like pronounce it and they, they kind of go f f f whenever I talk so it kind of like makes me uncomfortable. Before I kind of like felt like lonely that I'm the only one and people kind of called me names. Kind of didn't like it. People quite did like wanna like play with me since I was like different. But sometimes if you're like different, it might be like different. You shouldn't like see them in the outside. You should know what they feel. I'm different, but they should know how it feels. It'd be very easy for somebody with a facial difference to just become a recluse, you know. I'll collect welfare, I'll live in a rooming house, I'm not going to see anybody. Because the world can be quite nasty. You can't come out of a, a childhood like that unscathed, but you can come out stronger, and you can certainly come out as a creative being. I can't stop the bullying. I can't say, look, you'll never be bullied again, you'll never be teased again, people won't look at you, people won't say things. I can't stop that. and I obviously don't have that sort of power. But what I can change, and the changes I can make are in how the children feel about themselves. 
Hi, my name is Ryan, and I'm 11 years old. Before I met Michael, I'd retaliate and fight back and stuff. Well, with Michael, I would um, I would walk away and stuff like that, like to calm down and not fight. Sometimes, like when I'm down, like when someone makes fun, I wish like I never had that, or I never, or when I'm going into surgery, I wish I never had it. I usually go to my room and think how uh, what I would do if I if there was a cure, like to get rid of it, and how I would be if I didn't have it. I usually cry a bit, stuff like that. I've talked to the kids about, and I say, I know it's hard to understand as a child, and it's painful. I don't deny there are everyday challenges are tough. But at the same time, you do get to see life from a different perspective through a different set of eyes that that uh, the majority of the population don't see. You see from a, pers a perspective that uh, perhaps others will never get a chance to see. Often you're forced into the role of the observer if you're not allowed to participate. And I think from that vantage point comes great creativity. I don't know how it will manifest in these kids, but if they feel good enough about themselves, our next Margaret Lawrence or Robertson Davies or Lotta Hitchmanova could come out of this group of kids because they have so such great insights at such an early age. Um, I'm, I'm often amazed by the ideas they come up with for improv sketches. I, it, it's sort of these sort of ideas I would expect later into their teens or as adults, but I'm amazed at how brilliant their little minds work at that age. I, I, I just think the challenges, the challenges can make you stronger if you can, if you have enough friends and enough positives in your life, these challenges can make you a stronger person. My name is Alex and I am 10 years old. I had no roof in my mouth, so I had to get another one, and that's sort of what makes me different. I um, thought that I wouldn't be able to say a lot because I didn't want to mess up on the words and say like, like something else different than what I wanted to say. That's why I didn't volunteer in the, my projects. I thought that I wasn't as capable as the other kids because I thought that um, I couldn't really do any um, um, things without messing up. And when I went to the program, it built up my confidence to go up and get it over with instead of waiting for the teacher to call me up and waiting to show that I could do it. One day you're feeling really strong. One day you're, you're feeling sort of beaten by the world. We all have relapses. We all have times when we have to be built back up again. But I always tell them, look, my facial difference is the best thing that ever happened to me. You don't know which way you're going to be led because of this difference. I mean, the irony is, you know, hasn't escaped me. What was the cause of most of the anxiety and fear and pain in my life as a child is now the cause of most of my happiness as an adult because it's, this is the most worthwhile thing I've ever done. And it's fun. I mean, I feel great after every class, as, as draining as it can be. I just feel so good at the end of it all. 
It's fun with Michael. He's funny, and I feel more happier. Like, I just feel happy. I don't have to worry what other people says. I care about myself. I like myself. That's all I care about. Let's try another game. Do you want to try the story die game? Are you brave enough for that one? Why don't I have play? Just go where your imagination takes you. That Doc by producer Kate Cochran aired on the Sunday edition in 2001. We couldn't help wonder what Michael's up to now. So we tracked him down. Turns out he's still doing workshops. And we found one of his former students, too. Hi, everyone. My name is Maritza Bazarian. I am a former student of the Making Faces program, and I am currently a research coordinator and knowledge broker at Grandview Kids. Hi, I'm Michael Williams Stark. I am the founder of Making Faces, and I now also work with my good friends at Operation Smile. So this is so wonderful because you said, Maritza, you're a former student of Michael. 23 years ago, you were in the, the Making Faces workshop. And, and my first question for you is, is why? Why did you sign up for that, that Michael's workshop? I was born with a cleft lip and cleft palate. So I uh, grew up having to look different and talk different than everyone else. And I was very aware of this difference and uh, very self-conscious about it. So my mom thought if I was in a space with other kids who were just like me, I would hopefully do a little better in that type of environment. And can you tell me, uh, Maritza, what it was like, what you remember when you first met Michael? Well, I remember being very nervous. So this was this program when I took it was offered um, at the hospital for sick children. And I remember walking in and I saw um, this this man with very long hair and a very long beard. And I thought he looked like Dumbledore or what I imagined Dumbledore to look like. And I was like, oh my goodness, mother, what did you sign me up for? Uh, but then he started talking and he was just the kindest, sweetest guy and so funny. He made us like belly laugh probably within the first day. <laughs> um, as you described yourself, yeah, you were a very intelligent kid. You know, we all became pretty close and pretty tight. It becomes pretty comfortable in our workshop. So, yeah, I remember Maritza very well. And Maritza, is there a specific moment that stood out for you during the workshop that made a difference to you? Yes. So at the end of the program, um, we did put on a little show for the parents. Oh, the lecture. Yes. And I remember having to collect two topics from the audience and then talk for 30 seconds about that. And I remember getting laughs. And at the end of that 30 seconds, I just felt so proud of myself, so confident, uh, and it just gave me a chance to succeed. And really from that moment on, I started to be able to do things that I would always um, want an exemption from previously. So, you know, as an adult now, I'm constantly giving presentations. I give speeches in my job. Um, I've been told that's one of my strengths in my in my current work is my ability to present and tell a story. 
And I really think that started at the age of 11 from being in this workshop. And uh, Michael, you're clapping right now. You're clapping your hands and I can just see the smile uh, even through your beard. What's it like to hear Maritza talk about this moment where she stands up in your workshop and 20 years later and she's giving public workshops and speaking to people on a regular basis in the public? Well, honestly, right now to hear it, it's hard not to choke up. So um, it just makes me so happy. Happy's not even the word for it. The little boy I was was quite alone with it all. I never had any help or people to talk to. So um, it validates that I, I really hoped I was onto something when I created the program. I just feel so grateful that... I was of some small way, some help. The documentary that we listened to, Michael, is, is over 20 years old. Um, it, it was just delightful to, to, to find out that you're still doing these workshops. Uh, you know, what's, what's your, your goal and, and your hope for continuing with this work with children? Well, first I'm so happy that I've been able to continue doing this. Um, it's sort of what I found out what I wanted to be when I grew up, I guess. Um, my hope is now that I'm with Operation Smile, which is a much has a much greater reach than than my own little Making Faces program. If you don't know Operation Smile, we provide free and safe surgeries and dental care all over the world for kids with facial differences, uh, majority cleft lip and palate. So I'm hoping that I can train other facilitators throughout the world to to do we're making faces workshops and leadership programs I'll, I'll be in peru this summer and uh i was talking to some students i met in miami last summer uh, from ecuador and they want to start an operation smile uh making faces group so i'm hoping while i'm down there i can go do some leadership programs with them but eventually i just want uh for us to be able to make a home a safe place in the world for kids of difference where they uh, feel accepted and where they can contribute and uh, go on and lead happy, fulfilling lives. It's so wonderful to see you both, uh, you know, again, so many years later that, that you're both doing so well. And, and thank you so much for sharing time with us. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it for this week's Hell of a Story. The show is produced by Tanara McLean, AC Rowe filling in for Julia Poggle, and me. We're part of the CBC Audio Doc Unit. And you know what? If you're a fan of the docs we play on Hell of a Story, spread the love. Rate us. Review us. It helps other people find the show. I'm Duncan McHugh. Jimmy Gwetch. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.